Hello, this is Daniel Orton, pastor of Harvest House United Pentecostal Church in Marion, Kentucky. It is our desire to see hurting hearts and minds healed as they are born again into the kingdom of God. It is my desire that this podcast will be a blessing to you and help bring you closer to Jesus. Everyone would. Let's all go ahead and let's stand. And we're t- going to turn to the book of Acts, chapter number one. I'm going to turn to the book of Acts, chapter number one. I've got two verses to read. First one is already up on the screen. It says, Jesus has been talking to his disciples. This is his his very last words before he will ascend into heaven and leave them where they sit, stand, etc. Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8, Jesus says to his disciples, But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon me, on you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. It says that he would at this point begin to ascend into heaven, into a cloud. And then as they continue to sit there, stand there, they are encountered by two angels. And the two angels have a simple question why stand ye gazing this is acts 1 and 11 ye men of galilee why stand ye gazing up into heaven this same jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven i want you today to think deeply about the question why do you stand here gazing If you would, let's bow our heads and let's pray. Jesus, we love you and we thank you for all that you do. You are holy, mighty God. You are the everlasting Father. You are the Prince of Peace. You are our restorer, redeemer, Lord. You are the one who can change us, invigorate us, fill us with fire. You you said that you would come and you would give the Holy Ghost and fire, Lord. So I pray today that you would pour out your Spirit on all flesh, that we would not be the same as we were when we came into this building, that we won't be the same as we ever have been before, but we would be radically transformed, completely transformed in the moment, Lord, of this twinkling of an eye as we stand here Lord, that we would be, we would see your spirit poured out, that people would see visions, that people would begin to dream dreams, Lord, that miracles would be done, and that people, the blind would see, the, the lame would walk. Lord Jesus, I want to see miracles. I want to see the signs and the wonders that you promised, Lord. You are holy. You are the mighty God. And we thank you for all that you do. Help us to not just hear your word, but be absolutely transformed into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I came in here today with a very certain... Uh, when I was asked yesterday whether or not I had something I could preach, I had a couple of things rolling around my head. I knew what today was. And as I prayed and I said, God, what is it that you would want me to preach? I simply, uh, I, I felt that I needed to open up my notes and see what the last thing I had written down was. And it was a simple sentence, and that simple sentence is going to be what I preach about today. And I will say honestly, the moment that this message was absolutely confirmed today was as I sat, was as the Sunday school class assembled before me. Brayden, would you please stand? Would you please stand before us so everyone can read your beautiful hat? Your hat. I can't say your 
And the problem is, I think most of us are walking around with that literally written on our foreheads in this church. The word was, I was listening to a preacher earlier this week, and this phrase was just planted in my head, you cannot be apathetic and apostolic. I'm talking today about the impossibility of an apathetic apostolic. You see, the book of Acts, by its definition, is a book all about one very specific thing, and that thing is action. All throughout it, you see that the core element of what it takes to be the church of the living God is defined by action. Every time that God speaks, action must happen. When Brother Near came and preached to us, he talked about the law of first mention, and that is the fact that the first time something happens in the Bible, that is what you should always look back to as the precedent for how it works. What is the first thing that God ever said in the Bible? God said, let there be life, let there be light. And if you look at the modern scientist definition, they believe that at all moments, the universe is ever increasing in size. And what is increasing is the stretch of where the light is reaching. Light moves continuously. It does not stop moving until it hits something. So what has happened ever since God said those words, let there be light, light has continued to be. It has not stopped. There is a requirement. You've heard it preached probably more than one time, multiple times, again and again, and you will continue to hear it preached again and again. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the only begotten of the Father. I may have jumbled that up a little bit, but the basic statement is this. That by his very nature, by the nature of who God is, if he says something, something is expected to happen. When God said, let there be light, there was light. When God said, "Let the when God, God said, let the light and the darkness separate, the light, light and the darkness separated." When God said, "Let there be dry land on the earth," there was dry land on the earth. When God asked for the water in heaven to be separated from the water on earth, it was done, and a sky was created. When God said to let birds appear in the air and fish to appear in the water, birds appear in the air, and fish appear in the water. When God said, let the land produce vegetation, the land produce vegetation. When God said, let animals be formed out of the ground, animals were formed out of the ground. And when God said that he would make man in his own image, he reached down and did it himself. As that stands, there is not a single creature on this planet that can go against its own programming. Except for you. Because by the very nature of creation, you are simply made different. It's kind of a thing that people say these days, that guy's just built different. The guy's just built different. He, he just, he's just different. There is no... If you leave a cat alone long enough or a dog alone long enough, it will do what it takes to survive and go against the programming you've placed in its head and revert to its own instincts. Yet there are humans, when they are stranded alone on an island, something inside of them is able to go against the innate programming that they won't turn to cannibalism but a dog will but a cat will turn to cannibalism it will turn to eating the thing that has sustained it if you leave a cat alone long enough it will indeed eat you if you die because there's something different when God speaks the animals do their programming But for some reason, something is different about people. 
because he gave us a simple choice from the moment he made us and stuck humans in the middle of the Garden of Eden. He gave them a choice. Do what I say or don't. Do what I say or don't. But the core nature of God is that when he speaks, he expects people to respond. Because that's how all of nature works when God speaks, he, you, that it responds. You would find that when Jesus was in the middle of the lake, in the middle of the Sea of Galilee with the disciples, the storm was raging all around, going back and forth, and the waves were blowing, the waves were going, the wind was blowing, and the storm was going crazy. That the disciples. We're saying, God, I need, we need you to help. We need you to save us. We need something to happen to you. Are you okay with us dying out here? And he just stood up and said, stand still. The waves went down. The wind quit blowing. The rain stopped falling and the sun came out. And they all marveled and said, what? type of guy is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? And that is a fair question considering that Jesus himself said the wind blows where it wants to blow. You hear the sound but you don't know where it's going. And that's the way the spirit works. He said you see the way the spirit works is that there is action that people can't possibly begin to understand. And it all comes down to action. So they, they had in that moment, they realized if the wind does what he says, maybe it's best advised that we do the same. Amen. In fact, it's interesting that if the wind does what he says, it's interesting that when the day of Pentecost was fully come and they were all with one accord in one place, there came a sound from heaven like a rushing mighty wind Amen. and filled the house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to them cloven tongues like as of fire. You see something's a little different. The wind's under his command. So in that moment, the Spirit of God entered into the room. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Something changed. And when the wind blew following the orders of God, they began to speak following the orders of God. That's the way it worked. In that moment, the Pentecostal church was born. Does anyone know what Pentecost is? Thank you. I figured you two knew. Pentecost it, that is a feast day, 50 days after Easter, the, after the resurrection of Jesus. It's 50 days later. It had been 50 days. And on that first day of Pentecost, they all began to speak with other tongues. Nowadays, the modern definition, when someone says someone is a Pentecostal, does anyone know what that means? I would say that your pastor is indeed a Pentecostal. Good job. Thank you. <laughs> um, a Pentecostal is someone who believes and follows the experience that happened on this birthday of the church, someone who speaks with other tongues. That's all that word means. I know a lot of people seem to think that Pentecostal means someone who uh, means women that wear long skirts and have long hair, and men that that and men that keep their hair cut short, as well as the speaking in other tongues part. That's not what that means. It means someone who speaks with other tongues. That's it. That's all that word means. I know because there are plenty of people. There are Pentecostal Catholics. There are Pentecostal Baptists. There are Pentecostals of every way, short, way, shape, and form that believe that speaking in other tongues, that experience is still available today, and they are not wrong. 
It is still available today. You saw it in action just before this message began. People speaking with other tongues all throughout this house. There was a holy hush that came over the crowd. People began to speak with tongues as pastor delivered that word from God to us. But the problem is that a Pentecostal church only requires people to speak with tongues. But that is not how this chapter ends. The chapter begins with the birth of the Pentecostal church. It ends with the birth of the apostolic church. When it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. You see, we have a lot of Pentecostals. We have very few apostolics. And the difference is they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. The apostles' doctrine, now that is something, an entirely different matter and a different thing completely. You see, these are the people that are following the very words that are put forth in the Bible. These are the people following the Bible to the letter. You see, it is possible to experience something apathetically. But it's impossible to do those words out of apathy that are in this book. You see, if you are going to follow the book of Acts, you cannot simply be apathetic. Now, I just, before I continue, I have something very important to ask. Who knows what the word apathy means? Thank you. It is written on your head. I figured you might. (laughs) The word apathy means I don't care. The word apathy means I can fall asleep on the second to last pew. The word apathy means that I can sit there while people all around me are experiencing the presence of God and just do nothing and stare at stuff and look around and stand here gazing what the angels asked. The word apathy means that. But the problem is, while we have plenty of apathetic people inside of our church buildings, they cannot be what our church is as long as they are apathetic. You cannot be apathetic and also continue to call yourself an apostolic. And uh, to be fair, I'm not sure that many of you who are being apathetic are claiming to be. You walk into the door, sure, but I'm not sure that you're claiming to be that. And if you are, well, at least we can all agree together today that you're lying. But if you are apathetic and don't seem to care, I at least know you're also comfortable with lying because you're uncomfortable with not following what this book says. Because, look, I don't care if it's in the top 10 or whether it's number 612. You're still breaking the commandments. It is impossible to do this. You see... The fr- something pastor said today is what continues to bother me deeply. You are perfectly fine with trying to make your pastor happy, but not make God happy. Amen. But the problem is, as long as you're making, th- trying to make your pastor happy without making God happy, you're not making your pastor happy. Amen. You are failing at the very thing you're setting forth to do. Yes, oh, pastor, I'll pay for your meal. Pastor, I'll, I'll show up to church. Pastor, I will sit there and, and listen to every word you say. Pastor, I will keep on coming for 10 years in a row, and I'll just keep on going and keep on going and keep on going. I'll keep on being here. But the problem is you keep on coming and keep on going, and you keep on being here and doing nothing. There is no change. There is no transformation. As long as there is no change and no transformation, you aren't making your pastor happy. You're not making God happy. You're not making anyone happy except for you, maybe. But I, can, I dare say if you've been doing this without changing, you probably don't enjoy your Thursday nights. You don't enjoy your Sunday mornings. You cannot enjoy it. I don't, I I can't, I I know I haven't ever enjoyed it when I'm sitting there and I know he's preaching. I, I know he's saying something that I know I'm not doing. It's not fun. So I, I continue to question why even do people come when I know, when everyone knows that you are not what you are, what is being preached. 
Honestly, it was one of the most comforting things in the world when recently I heard someone say, I just can't keep coming because I know they don't approve of what's happening. It was one of the most comforting things in the world. I'm like, good, someone's actually listening. Because you cannot come here and be apathetic. You see, being apathetic means I'm willing to just sit here completely dead-faced and not absorb a single thing that's being said. You see, in the, when the day of Pentecost happened, it went like this. Peter began to preach because everyone started asking, what's up? Someone asked a question, like our Thursday nights have been going on. Someone asked a question. I'm not sure how much they, they really thought or whatever. They just said, what's going on? What do you mean? They said, what meaneth this? And the preacher decided to get up and say, let me tell you what's up. You men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known to you and listen to what I say. These are not drunk like you think. It's only nine in the morning. The day, this is, that, this is what the prophet Joel said was going to happen. It is going to happen. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men will see visions. Old men will dream dreams. On your servants, on my handmaidens, I will pour out of my spirit in that day. They will prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath. Blood, fire, vapor, smoke, the sun turned to darkness, the moon turned to blood before that great and notable day of the Lord. It is also going to come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus was a man approved by God among you by miracles, wonders, and signs that God did by him in the midst of you. And you know this. He was delivered by the determinate counsel, by the foreknowledge of God. You've taken by wicked hands, crucified him, slain him. And that still applies to us today. That it is by our very own hands that Jesus was put onto the cross. That Jesus suffered. That Jesus died. It is our wicked hands that crucified him. When God raised him up, he loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. David speaks concerning him. I saw the Lord always before my face. He's on my right hand. I will not be moved. Therefore, my heart rejoices and my tongue is glad. But moreover, my flesh will rest in hope. You will not leave my soul in hell. You will not suffer thy holy one to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy with thy countenance. Ladies and gentlemen, let me freely speak unto you that David is dead and buried. His, his tomb is with us to this day. But he was a prophet, and he knew that God swore with an oath to him that his children, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne out of his descendants. He saw this before, and he went ahead and spoke of Jesus' res resurrection. His soul was not left in hell. His flesh did not see corruption. This Jesus has God raised up, and of this we are all witnesses. And it's at this point that I remind you, everybody in town knew the tomb was empty. Everybody in town knew that Jesus had died and had been seen walking around again. And at this point, everyone who dared say that Jesus did not really raise from the dead had a good, strong inkling of a suspicion that that was a lie. They knew. Peter said, you know that Jesus was raised of the dead. We're all witnesses. Being by the right hand of God, exalted and having received the Father, the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this which you now see and hear, all these people speaking with other tongues. That sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, that appearance of tongues of fire on each and every one of us, you know what you see and hear. David didn't ascend into the heavens, but he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Let all the house of Israel know Assuredly, God has made that same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ.
And it's at this point that a simple question is released. Men and brethren, what shall we do? Why did they ask that question? Because you see, we have a lot of people ask questions around here. People ask questions all the time. And I think occasionally they have the same motivation that these guys have. They were pricked in their hearts. They felt guilty. They didn't like the preaching that was coming out because they knew it didn't line up with who they were. Or maybe they realized it lines up too much with who I am. They, they thought, oh no, I've been sitting idly by and letting this happen. I have sat idly by and allowed the Son of God to be killed. I've sat idly by. I didn't follow him. In fact, or if I did follow him, I, I, I felt like the pressure was too much, so I went ahead and let it happen. Uh, okay, what do I do? What, what do I do? This is the entire message of the book of Acts. What do I do? Yeah. You see, it can't be what do I need to know. Teaching only goes so far, and we've done a lot of teaching, and we've taught and taught and taught till I feel like your ears must be bleeding by this point. We've poured information out like crazy. We've poured information into you, and I know there are people who can quote back stuff to me, but the problem is, what do you do? What do you do? Thing is, I know you guys can answer me. I know the people in this room can answer what the answer to this question was. And if you're not sure what it is in context, let me just point to these numbers here. What's the number after 37? What's Acts 2.38 say? I know you guys know the answer to the question. <laughs> Peter said... Let me say it the way Peter probably said it. Because I don't think he said that because the next question would have been, well, he didn't say it at 10,000 miles an hour. He said, repent can be baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of your sins. And then you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. This promise is to you. It's for your children. It's for all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And he didn't stop. He kept going with many other words, telling people, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. What, what does untoward generation mean? It means the type of generation where perversion runs rampant and people are, people are just doing whatever with whoever, whenever they feel like they need to do it or want to do it. And we live in one. We have one that decides to intend our services for some reason. They continue to attend but continue to sit apathetically. You see, we have an untoward generation that likes to sit in our pews, that likes to mock the very experience of God that goes out. I have seen it with my own eyes, sitting and standing right here, looking during worship service, seeing people mock this Holy Ghost experience, and and, and I'm, I'm, I'm releasing something that I hope isn't turning you off, and it is called anger. I am angry at this untoward generation that continues to do nothing when you know what to do. You know what to do. You know the answer to the questions. You, but yet you continue to sit by and wonder, how can this world possibly be so messed up? It's messed up because people that know the answer don't live the answer out. You cannot be apostolic while sitting apathetic in an apostolic church. Yeah. 
You can't be apostolic while sitting apathetic in this untoward generation. Because you turn to the next chapter and the apostolic church goes to a different location and sees someone healed and people ask questions and they preach again. Then in the next chapter, they're dragged before a council that hates their guts and they turn to them and give the same answers again. In the next chapter, you see stuff happen like that. You see stuff keep continuing after chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter. One guy's getting rocks thrown at him and he continues to preach the truth of Acts 2.38. One guy gets, gets invited to go and preach to foreigners that he's not even sure of able to be saved and but he preaches in any way and sees the spirit poured out and it continues again and again and again because they just know one simple thing I can't sit by and let this happen without a response Amen. Amen. and that's the core message here you know too much to do nothing Amen. even those of you who have been coming the least amount of time know this message Continue so often to sit and do nothing. And I, I don't know which one frustrates someone more. Someone who has just found out the truth and continues to sit there. Or someone who's known the truth so long, lived it for a short time, and then decided to revert to the people, to the way that the people who don't know it act. I don't know which is more frustrating, but Paul talked about both. He told one, he said, the time is going to come when they're not even going to listen to us anymore. And then he also said, and this guy's left me because he'd rather be like the world. So in the end, it comes down to this. Both sit alike in the end. The fate of both is the same, whether you've known the answer for a long time but done nothing, or once did something but now do nothing, or whether you've heard it and in the end do nothing. Jesus told the parable of the sower like this. He said, there was a sower who went forth to sow. He threw some seed to the wayside, but it was so hard that the seed never went in and the birds ate it up and flew away. He threw another one into stony ground. It went down. It come up quick, but because it had no roots, it withered away. He sowed another one in the middle of thorns. It grew, but was eventually choked out by the weeds. And someone in a good ground produced 30 fold, 60 fold, and 100 fold, a great harvest. And the disciples said, what meaneth this? <laughs> he said, the seed is the word of God. The seed that landed on the wayside, it's like the people who hear the word but cannot receive it. They don't believe it and they go away unchanged. The seed that fell in the stones is like someone who receives it gladly but doesn't let it get inside of them very deeply. It doesn't let it register in them. So when life gets hot, when pressure comes up, it dies out. Seems to be doing great at first, but then just disappears. And the next one is someone who cares about the word, but they're surrounded by so many other things. Pressure, fun, whatever, stress. I've just got, I'm so busy right now that it can't grow. And they end up eventually, painfully, just fading away. And of course, undistracted, well-maintained, diligent, 
faithful, good, all those things that I've been teaching about downstairs. All the stuff that Peter said, if you do these things and abound, you will never fall. That's the good soil. And they can produce so much more than what they are. I was sitting in a service recently. And the words of that parable came to my mind. I was looking at some people and they were sitting at one of our pews and they had two other people sitting next to them. And it was like I could see looking there, it was almost as if she was that she was that seed sitting there trying to grow but surrounded by outside pressures. Weeds, if so to speak. Talking over the service and laughing back and forth while someone sat there in the middle of them that I felt like cared about the service. It's like I could see it right there. And don't you dare go say, oh, but it said that, it said, there's no way that that is what, I thought the ground was you, not the, not the plants. But no, 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 actually what it says in the next parable over is that the weeds are people that are planted there by the devil. Are you saying I'm a plan of the devil? You get to choose which seed you let grow in your ground. As long as you don't let the right stuff grow, you're a contradiction as long as you come to this church. <laughs> I'm not telling you to leave. <laughs> I'm telling you to buy in. I'm begging you to buy in. And I'm about to say something that I know a lot of you don't like. I've probably said, I know I've said a lot of stuff a lot of you don't like. So it don't matter. Praying at your pew makes it easy to be apathetic. I don't got to come up to the altar. And you can't even use the excuse that most people are using these days. Oh, I'm afraid of the big crowd that's going to be there because of COVID. Well, the problem is that this is the least crowded area of the church. Amen. The altar is the least crowded area of the church most of the time. You, you, you sit in a crowd if you stay in your pews. That's the people, you want to get six feet away from somebody, just come up to the altar. Amen. There's so many people that say, oh, altar calls need to die, but needed to die because of COVID. No, the problem was the altar call was dying in a lot of places before COVID. Amen. Sitting in your pew is not making you any safer from anything. In fact, it's making you way less safe. There's a reason. I, I, one of my first college classes I ever attended, they talked about this triangle. They talked about this triangle that said, the closer you are to the front and center, statistically speaking, you make better grades. And then it fans out from there. The closer you are to the back, the less likely you are to make a good grade. I'm not saying sitting on the back pew is going to send you straight to hell because there are some places it's simply not an option, but this ain't one of them. Amen. There are people who sit on the 15th row of churches that are going to make it to heaven before people in the front row. Amen. But a lot of times it's just a good sign of your buy-in, how close you're willing to be, how much you're willing to let the preacher's eyes sit on you. But as long as you're sitting there doing anything else other than paying attention, engaging in service, and going to the altar, you are not an apostolic. You see, that's kind of the core of the message. So I guess the real answer is, what do you want? Anyone recognize that question today? Yeah. 
What do you want? Someone told me they wanted to go to heaven. Yet, behavior in this service may make me question if you want to go to heaven. Because you're doing the opposite of everything that's being said. Those of you who said, oh, I want happiness, you're not doing what it takes to get eternal happiness someday. And yeah, I'm sorry, I'm being direct. I'm pointing directly at some people. And most of you who said you want success, you want this, you want that, you can possibly get exactly what you want. But what you're looking at is do you want it now or do you want it eternally? Because the problem is you are not showing that you believe what the Bible says. Maybe you don't want believe what the Bible says then you can find a better way to spend your Sunday. If you don't believe what the Bible says, I wouldn't be here if I didn't believe what the Bible says. I don't know why you're here. Because what, you're, what you say you want isn't lining... What you say you want with your life doesn't seem to line up with what you say by sitting in this church. That's my big issue here. Do you want to go to heaven. Amen. If you don't believe the Bible, I don't know why you would dare answer yes to that question. Do you believe in God? If you're not doing what the Bible says, I don't think you can answer yes to that question. If, do you believe that this thing is real? If as long as you sit there and act like so many people do, I don't see how you can answer yes to these questions. Jesus, right after he did the miracles of the fishes and loaves, one of his very next sermons, he said, I'm going to require you to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And everyone thought that was weird. And from that moment, many people left him. And ceased to follow him. It just didn't register in, my, in their heads. How on earth does that mean? Would you call Jesus a successful minister? <laughs> then apparently running people off is sometimes the sign of a successful ministry. By the end of it, Jesus had four people around the cross with him. And one of them was his mom. That's right. Only one of them was one of the men that is called an apostle. <laughs> Only one of them is a man who is called an apostle. After he died, Two more came out of the woodwork and took him to be buried. Doing what it takes to live this life is not going to be a popular option. And in this day and age, apathy reigns supreme. Some of us are willing to wear it on our foreheads. <laughs> Man, that, that's just going to be fun. <laughs> what do you want? I asked that question today in class for a reason. Because it's what's on my mind today. What do you want? In fact, it's what's on my mind pretty much every Sunday anymore. Amen. <laughs> and pretty much every service I come in here and I'm just asking, what do you actually want? Because so many people are just so... Opposed completely to the purpose of this building that you're in today. Actions are not lining up with the purpose of this building. A lot of people like to say, oh, I believe in God. A lot of people like to say, I'm a Christian. But as John Autry loved to say, it's the most overused word in the English language. It's the most overused word in the English language. So, 
for a simple statement. Let me just tell you what it takes to do this thing right. Amen. Can I get my music up here? Let me just tell you what it takes to do this thing right. I know you know the answer already. I know you know the answer already. Because you give it to me half-hearted all the time. So let me add the first step. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not to men. Because that's where so many of us are failing. That's where so many of us are failing. We think this is about people. I actually had someone say to me at a youth service recently, I don't want to go in there. There's too many fake people. And I just told him, and he didn't listen to me. I told him, then go in It's not about Lisa. It's not about Brother Daniel. It's not about Sister Penny. It's not about Taylor. It's not about Jenna. It's not about Dakota. It's not about Brooklyn. And it's not even about Corbin. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about any of us. It's all about Jesus. And then after you've got in mind that this is about no one else. It makes it easy to repent. Turn away from your wickedness. Oh God, I'm sorry for the way I've been living. I don't want to live this way anymore. I don't want to be this person anymore. Ashamed. Be unashamed of this thing. 